It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. Do you have over-the-top sensitivities, fatigue, anxiety, or depression, and even chronic illness? Today's special guest, Ben Ahrens, says it's not you. You're not broken. It's your brain, and you can actually change it. At age 25, Ben Ahrens, a semi-professional surfer, became bedridden for over three years with chronic neurological Lyme disease. Despite his best efforts and conventional medical treatment, Ben found himself truly stuck, unable to get better or make a full recovery. Then he came across neuroplasticity. Ben's eventual success with recovering his own health, um, and he has remained 100% healed for over 10 years, led him to form the Brain Trust, which now serves as the cornerstone of Reorigin, which he's going to be telling us about. Uh, Reorigin is a science-based, self-directed neuroplasticity training program with coaching, life programming, and a support community. And um, now I'd like to introduce you to Ben, and so he can explain this to you, because I know you're very, very anxious to hear what this is all about. Uh, Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Randy. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It is my absolute pleasure. So, Ben, you know, it's easy for people to relate to others when they hear the stories. So tell us about... um, kind of what happened to you at age 25. Yeah, sure. Well, well, first of all, thank you for that introduction. I think you did a great job summarizing it. But I was a uh, just working in the health and fitness space. I was always fascinated with uh, the human being and the human body and how it could change and be improved. And then around age 25, as you mentioned, um, the most unexpected thing happened. I completely lost my own health. And um, what started as these weird headaches and body aches and muscle pains um, quickly over just a few weeks um, deteriorated into brain fog and neurological symptoms and led me on this journey to visit many doctors and receive many diagnoses of things like POTS, you know, postural orthostasis tachycardia, fibromyalgia, juvenile, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, um, I even received a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis from one neurologist, and the list just goes on and on. And um, it turned out that one of the key factors was Lyme disease, which is a really common issue where I live in the Northeast in in Long Island, New York. Um, But there's an interesting thing that I learned as I pursued this journey of trying to recover my health, which is that there are a lot of people that have certain um, bacteria or infections or exposures like Lyme, and not everyone responds in in the same way. One doctor in biological medicine actually said that roughly 40% of people in some regions of the Northeast, uh, if tested, would be positive for Borrelia, which is the Lyme-causing bacteria, but out of that, less than 2% would actually become symptomatic. So, I started to kind of go down this, this road of investigation to understand why, why was my body responding in this way with all of these symptoms? Um, and most importantly, is there a way that I, can, uh, that I can start to change this? So that led me to the nervous system and perception and the brain and how the human body processes information, um, learning about the immune system, and the list just goes on and on. But um, Ultimately, you know, it led me to uh, uncover a series of practices, basically, exercises that, that anyone can do to start to change their body's innate response and even change their, their immune system's response 
to the presence of certain pathogens. Um, so this just furthered my fascination with what the body and the mind can really do. And as you mentioned, you know, led me to start Reorigin, uh, which is a company and a program that teaches this to, to other people, shows them the exact steps that they can take and really supports them along the way, um, whether they're dealing with anxiety, depression, or a more chronic inflammatory condition like I was, like Lyme or even long COVID, we're seeing a lot of people benefit from our program now. And is chronic neurological Lyme disease different than Lyme disease? Yeah. So, you know, generally speaking, um, when someone gets an infection, whether it's uh, cold or, or some kind of virus or bacterial infection like Lyme, there's what's known as the acute phase where the body rightfully produces antibodies. That's to say we want to have a certain level of inflammation in the body um, and, and a little bit of elevated immune activity so that it can do its job and sort of kick out the, the infection. Um, now, what can happen in some cases, like I learned and experienced, is that sometimes that immune response and that stress response can stay elevated even after the pathogen has passed. And there's still widespread debate, especially in the Lyme community, of whether the pathogen really leaves the body or whether it's still there. And it sort of forms this like chicken and egg scenario where the, we know that the, the body's immune system is the most powerful drug on the planet. There's no supplement or pharmaceutical that's more powerful than the immune system. But if the immune system is kind of turning and burning and then becomes worn out or compromised, um, then it's not going to have its full resources to be able to fight those pathogens. So it actually leaves the door open to those pathogens persisting. Um, and it's, again, there's widespread debate over whether or not the infection is still there. But even if it's not there, what we now know can happen is a phenomenon known as conditioned immunosuppression or or a limbic system kindling, where basically, you know, fancy words, but basically means that the body essentially gets stuck in this, in this reactive state where it just learns to continue to produce the um, inflammatory response, continue to, to produce all of these cytokines and activity that make us feel symptomatic and make us feel like we're still sick, um, even though we might not even have the infection anymore. And that's when we say that um, an acute infection has become chronic. It's when the symptoms generally persist, you know, beyond a uh, six or eight week period when the immune system should have been able to, to kick it out. But now we find that the body is still stuck in this sort of negative feedback loop of depletion, depression, anxiety, and uh, physical symptoms. Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> you know, it reminded me of a time where I, I had a complete breakdown of my body. It was just, it was a... Um, it was a breakdown of years and years of, of emotional stress. And it just, I just finally, <laughs> I just finally lost it. And I remember going to, from doctor to doctor and getting the same diagnosis that you got, you know, MS and this and that. Yeah. They really didn't know what to do with me. <clears throat> um, and so then I started visiting all kinds of holistic and gurus and anything I could get my hands on. And, um, when I came upon acupuncture, that was really helpful for me, but I didn't have a particular disease. It was just, um, <clears throat> the body was just exhausted, you know? <clears throat> mm -hmm. So, so what is, so tell us what neuroplasticity is. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, it sounds like you and I shared a really similar experience and the, the challenge with these uh, so-called diseases or, or conditions is that even when you receive a diagnosis of, say, fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome or Lyme disease uh, or post-COVID syndrome, these are really umbrella terms that don't, <laughs> don't really satisfy you in the sense that they don't really lead to a clear course of, of treatment. Even the word chronic fatigue syndrome just means tired all the time, and fibromyalgia just means pain in the muscles. And, you know, so they're much more descriptive. Um, and and kind of exhibit this, this learned trait that the body can, can have to kind of go haywire. Like you mentioned, it oftentimes it, it occurs when, when people are already um, carrying a certain stress load 
and then something like a cold or a flu can come along and act as the straw that breaks the camel's back, but the camel's back might not have broken if it wasn't already carrying such a high, what's known as allostatic load or, or stress load. So the good news here, I know this all sounds very, you know, scary when you talk about the symptoms and the, the cycles and everything, um, but the good news is that these conditions are changeable. Um, they're absolutely transformable. And the same way that the brain can learn essentially to overprotect you by creating that elevated stress response, it can also be retrained um, to achieve like a natural new level of calm. And this happens by the phenomenon that we know as neuroplasticity. So neuroplasticity is simply your brain's natural ability to change its structure and its function. So until like the, uh, the 1970s or 80s, it was, it was pretty much generally accepted in the neuroscience community that the brain doesn't change. It was like this fixed object that's kind of wired up a certain way and then um, just continues along that path for, for life. And we now know that that's completely false. We, we know that we wouldn't be able to learn a new skill or to learn how to ride a bike if it wasn't for the brain's ability to, to make new connections. Um, and so it's just spawned this really exciting field that I remember when I came across it, uh, I went from feeling utterly stuck to having these glimmers of hope, you know, of saying, okay, like maybe what's going on isn't permanent. Maybe, you know, if, if my brain has learned to produce these responses and I just want to make it very clear that we're, we're not saying that it's all in your head or anything like that. These conditions are very real and lead to very real symptoms in the body. But the brain's role is that the brain acts as like the conductor of the orchestra. If you think of your body as, you know, a symphony of cells and organs and systems that have very precise choreographed and coordinated functions, um, sometimes if the brain learns to overreact or to keep that stress response going, some of those functions can be thrown a little bit out of whack. And it's like the, the orchestra starts playing out of tune. But if we simply give the brain the right information, the updated information to tell it to say, hey, you know, you're, you're not in danger anymore. Like, sure, you, you might still have a little bit of this, this virus or this flu or this, uh, this trauma or this issue, but it's not life-threatening. You don't have to respond with all of this inflammation, with this excess immune response. Um, and by sort of systematically retraining the brain, then the brain can then do its job again and balance all of these systems in the body. So rather than having to treat each and every symptom or try and manage all of these systems that are very complex, um, the, the kind of thinking and the theory behind using neuroplasticity and what we do at Reorigin is, is that it's not about, you know, constantly managing these, these uh, symptoms, but instead it's really about restoring self-management to the person, allowing their body to come back into that state we, we know is homeostasis and we just experience as good health. And this is so interesting to me because when I think of neuroplasticity, I think of changing the mindset. Um, and, mm. and what's really interesting is you're talking about changing the way the body is uh, is basically being run by the brain, so that's a whole other facet that I really had never explored. So thank you. That's this is very very interesting to me. Um, so neuroplasticity means that the brain can change, that we can develop new neuropathways, um, and how is that done? Yeah, it's you know what it's a really great great question. I'll, I'll back it up one step and say, first of all, why would we want to change our brain, right? Why would we want to create new neural pathways? Um, well, we just talked about how the brain is basically like the conductor of the orchestra that makes up the functions of the body. And if those functions are a little bit out of step, then we want to kind of reestablish the brain as that um, conductor that's, that's giving the proper information. So essentially, you know, there are, what we're really trying to do, the goal of, of self-directed neuroplasticity is to, first and foremost, learn how to self-regulate your body's internal state. So that means that there is now 
strong evidence in support of the, the, the notion that it is possible to, um, to self-regulate our own autonomic functions, so functions like the nervous system, uh, the immune system, these things that were previously thought to be completely automatic, and that's to say beyond our conscious control, we now have strong research and evidence to support that actually we can control these things. And then furthermore, when it comes to the neuroplasticity, we don't want to simply like have to consciously control our immune system or consciously control our heartbeat because that would take a tremendous amount of thought and work and attention. So instead what we want to do is we want to um, reestablish proper neural pathways in the brain that are going to set the right pace for the heart, for the immune system, and for all of these functions that you know, operate on their own to keep us healthy. So now, you know, to get into, well, okay, how does this look? How does one actually do something like, you know, control your own immune system? Um, and one example we can kind of use or one way we can think about this is that there are certain levels of control that the mind or the brain actually has over the body. And some of these, you know, uh, no one would argue with. For instance, Randy, you know, if I told you right now to, or anyone listening, to raise your right arm, right? That's something that you can absolutely do, and it's done by, it starts with a thought. You know, you, you hear the words that I'm saying, you understand their meaning, you have this thought, okay, I'm going to raise my arm, and then you're, you send this message, not like in a really conscious way, but essentially what's happening is your brain sends a signal to the muscles of the arm to create the movement. So we know that in this way, the mind can control the brain and the brain can control the body. Now, when it comes to something like um, your heart rate, now this is where we have to get a little more nuanced because we don't have the same measure of direct control um, to the heart as we do to say our motor function, as to say, you know, moving the muscles or the body. So if I told you now, Randy, okay, slow your heart rate from 70 beats per minute to 55 beats per minute. Now at first you might raise an eyebrow, but with a little bit of coaching, with a little bit of training, I could maybe direct you to get in there through a different proxy. I could say, okay, well, first let's try to calm your mind, right? We know that different thoughts can produce different responses in the body. If you ruminate over, uh, you know, something negative that happened, a negative argument or being yelled at, we know that this will actually change the stress response. It will elevate heart rate, dilate pupils, um, lead to the triggering of the release of, uh, inflammation in the body and um, things like cortisol and adrenaline. Whereas if I told you to do the opposite, okay, now like, you know, focus on how beautiful the flowers are in the springtime, right? So just channeling your, your mind's awareness, channeling where your mind goes, you can already start to inhibit that stress activity and lead to that calming activity, which includes reduction of the heart. Now, we can also add other layers onto this. I can say, okay, now in addition to thinking of the, the spring flowers and taking your attention away from the, the thoughts that are causing agitation, I also want you to um, take a deep breath and take these slow, long exhales. And this is something that everyone can try. So as you're slowing your breath, you're kind of replacing your thoughts onto more pleasant uh, areas of life, you're actually causing the brain and, to, and the nervous system to shift into what's known as the parasympathetic state, which is that rest and digest or calming um, state. So there's a series of these kinds of things. And when it comes to reorigin, we have a very, very specific five-step protocol that we teach people that involves the mind, it involves the body, it involves the breath, it involves the somatic experience, and it's all kind of wrapped into uh, one process that, that people can, can do to essentially retrain their brain and nervous system to produce a response that's, that's more at ease, that's more advantageous to healing, um, and ultimately that, that feels much more pleasant. Oh, wow. <laughs> Is there ever so much damage um, from a long-term uh, dis-ease or um, inflammation or something like that, that it's very difficult for neuroplasticity to heal it? Great question. So there's an important distinction here, which is 
the distinction between what is actually damage in the body, like when we experience, let's say, pain, for example, um, what is coming from damage in the body versus what is uh, perceptual. That's not to say that it's not painful or the pain isn't real, but it's to say that the, the pain neurons might be misfiring or overacting. So, you know, a classic example of this would be, um, you know, if you, if you felt a pinch in your finger, for instance, right, and then you look down and you realize that, oh, you have a, your finger is in a vice, so it's being pinched. So that's an example that makes sense. Now, if you have a pain in your finger and you look down and there's nothing causing it, um, and then maybe that pain migrates to a different finger or a different hand or, <laughs> you know, even takes a different form, that's a strong sign that it's largely neurological, that the issue is really a brain signaling issue more so than a structural issue. Um, now, of course, in some cases, um, if we're you know, left with a lot of inflammation, a lot of uh, this overactivity for a long time, it can lead to things like I experienced with the juvenile rheumatoid arthritis of actual you know, wearing down of tissue um, that can cause pain and fatigue and uh, aches and, and things like that in the joints. Um, that can, of course, you know, stimulate the, the, the pain-sensing neurons to tell the brain, hey, like, there's pain here. Now, the interesting thing is that, and to answer your question, even if there is ongoing uh, structural damage or something in the body, it is still possible to tune down the pain receptors from that area. And we know this because there have been studies done with people uh, who have been um, – uh, amputees, for instance, is a good example with, with phantom limb pain, right? So people might feel uh, pain in, in an arm that no longer exists. And so what they do is they actually use neuroplasticity training. They use mirrors and they show them that the arm isn't there and they use a variety of certain exercises to essentially turn down the pain signaling from, from that area because it's, yes, it may be stemming from, from old damage, but now it's actually not alerting you to anything that that's helping you, right? Those signals are just there and they're interfering with your day-to-day -day experience. So we want to be able to kind of turn those dials down on, on perception um, as well as do what we can to, to you know, maintain and, and care for the physical body. Okay. That's, um, that's really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it sparks so many thoughts of so many people that I know that are going through something. And the one thing that I'm thinking about is um, my sister passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease about a year ago. And um, she had for years been going from doctor to doctor. And they just kept saying, okay, well, walk down, you know, let me see you walk. Okay, you're fine. Um, and it progressed and progressed and progressed and progressed and nobody could figure out what was wrong with her until the very end when she was totally incapacitated. So, you know, and I'm just thinking, gosh, if, if something like, if she knew about something like this, when this all began, you know, could she have, you know, um, warded it off? Uh, what is your thought about that? You know, it's, it's a great question. I think a, a lot of these conditions are very complex, and there's an important difference between um, the kinds of conditions that we see at reorigin are really stemming from an overactive stress response. So they are what's known as kind of chronic inflammatory conditions, um, whereas there's, there's another category that it sounds like this person was in who, who kind of falls under what's more of a neurodegenerative condition. Um, I think there's a lot more research that needs to be done here to understand um, the causes of those conditions and what can be done to, to attenuate them. Um, you know, there, there is some good research and, and evidence that um, just finding ways to connect the nervous system through neurocognitive rehab and things can potentially help to slow those, those down. But I think until we, don't, until we understand the cause of the continuous degeneration, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to say. So, you know, I want to be very, very cautious not to give false hope, um, right. but to certainly, you know, give, give real hope to people who might be experiencing something like, like I was or feel like they might be stuck in, in a loop of symptoms and inflammation. Um, that okay. For these types of conditions, uh, the neuroplasticity training is showing to be really effective. Okay. 
And I really think that hers was trauma-based, uh, emotionally trauma-based. I really do. So, um, so it's an interesting. Yeah. I have someone else that I, I I'm going to give a link to this <laughs> to this broadcast mm. too because I think it could it could really potentially help the person. So tell us about reorigin. And brain brain trust is is one part of reorigin. What are the what's the difference between the two? Yeah, so the brain trust is um a team of neuroscientists. We have a clinical uh, psychologist and PhD neuroscientist um, and a few doctors on, on the team that have really helped us put together a lot of research and convert all of that research, that kind of like theory, into these actionable steps that people can take. So the brain trust is kind of like the, the engine of reorigin. It's the research team. It's the ones who are helping to develop the program. Um, and then the reorigin program itself is a series of online videos that people can watch. It takes about a, just a week to go through. Um, and they can learn this five-step process, and they can learn how to kind of interrupt these, these vicious cycles and start to re, repattern and reprocess um, the pain signals that they might be feeling and the signals that might be coming to the, to the nervous system um, so that ultimately they can allow their system to calm down and to shift into that more parasympathetic state, um, which we know is more advantageous to, to healing. So the reorigin program really consists of, of three components. Um, the one is the, the course itself, the videos that teach you how to do these retraining exercises. The second is a community where we have um, ongoing chats, discussions, Q&As, um, as well as uh, visits from the Brain Trust. And the third is weekly coaching. So people can also get, you know, weekly group coaching calls. So they're not left in the lurch. There's plenty of support um, as they learn this, this process and, and move toward uh, self-healing. And if someone really truly applies themselves to the process, um, is there a time, uh, uh, you know, amount of time that is average that someone would uh, be able to repair these? Or is it different with everyone? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, everyone is, of course, very unique in terms of where they're coming from, what conditions they might be struggling with. Um, generally, I will say that we, people tend to notice a difference pretty quickly. Um, these are, you know, a series of exercises, and so it is very much, I, I like to make the analogy between these brain exercises and, and physical exercises, meaning that if you have a good program in hand and you show up at the gym and you do these exercises, um, well, there's no, of course, guarantees, you are very likely to see results. Um, and what most people tend to experience is um, an initial change after even just a few days. Um, but what we're really interested in is sustaining that change, is being able to, you know, I like to say it's not just about calming the stress response, but it's about preventing its arousal in the first place. We want to be able to go back into the real world to face the things that might trigger us or have caused trauma in the past, but to be able to maintain this homeostasis and this even keel. And that we find typically usually takes about 90 days of um, dedicated practice to this exercise. And it basically just involves uh, three 10-minute sessions per day. So once people learn these exercises, uh, they start to practice it at first, maybe just once or twice a day. But then they work their way up to these three 10-minute sessions a day, so a total of 30, 30 minutes of neuroplasticity or brain retraining per day. Um, and we found that that seems to be you know, sufficient for, for many people um, within 60 or 90 days to really start to um, change their, their, their brain in such a way where they can actually you know, maintain that, that level of calm and healing um, even in the midst of, of uncertainty in daily life. Okay. Well, that's reasonable. I mean, that doesn't take that long. It, it, it feels, I know it feels really strange, you know, when I've worked with people and, um, to help them change the, the way, their thought patterns. I know initially it can be really uncomfortable because you're creating, trying to create a pattern um, and give up the pattern that you've established for so long, you know, that you just tend to mm. kind of fall right into. 
So at first, it sort of feels a little bit awkward, I'm sure. So yeah, I think, you know, yeah, like, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, I think the way you described it is perfect, Randy. You know, it's, it's, I always tell people that the best way to think about this is like habits, you know. Your, your brain can learn certain habits the same way that we can learn behaviors and behavioral type of habits. And we know that when you try and break a habit, um, at first it's a little strange. It's a little uncomfortable and it takes energy, right? It takes effort to start to feel like you're almost pushing a, a boulder uphill. But then once it gets over the ridge and the new habit, the new neural pathways in this case are set in place, then that boulder starts to roll down the other side and starts to sort of gain its own momentum. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I always say to people, and this isn't, this is not anatomical in any way, but I always say, you know, a basic understanding of this would be, you know, say you drove down the same country road every day for 10 years and there's this rut in the road and your tires mm-hmm. just naturally go in there and you drive, you know, um, yeah. what we need to do is sort of pave over that rut and create another one somewhere else that is going to benefit you. And then as you create that rut in the road, the other one will sort of pave itself over or go away and you won't need it anymore. So that's kind of a simple way that I explain it to people, but I I like the way you explain it. I really do. So um, what I'm hearing is that um, another thought that I have is that we can get stuck in this pattern of one condition creating another condition, right? So we can develop this, these multiple conditions because of the brain's response to the original one. Is that kind of what goes on? Yeah, exactly right. So once the brain is triggered, right, once that sympathetic response becomes the dominant response, now we become, in effect, hypersensitive to other things that um, – that our brain can then form, you know, antibodies or the, the immune system can form antibodies again. So, yeah, these are called, you know, secondary conditions. So for me, what started off as stress and then the Lyme and everything, my body was already in this fight or flight response. You know, I found myself becoming all of a sudden developing food sensitivities and then sensitivities to, to light and sound and um, all of these other things, chemicals that I didn't have before. And, um, yeah, so, so the body can – you know, become hypersensitive. And then essentially what's happening is this region of the brain called the limbic system, which is our threat detection and response mechanism. It starts to, in effect, misclassify things that are benign as things that are threatening. So anything that might be like a little bit irritating or a little bit challenging to the system um, under ordinary circumstances probably wouldn't move the needle when it comes to our noticing them or certainly having symptoms around them, but in that hypersensitized state, all of a sudden these things generate a physical reaction, physiological or sometimes even a mental or emotional reaction combined with that. And when that continues, then the brain starts to basically, you know, label these things as, uh, as threats, as dangerous. And then every time we encounter those things, whether it's a certain food or a substance or perfume or, um, you know, any, anything really can become uh, labeled wrongfully so as this threat that the, the body, the immune system then thinks it needs to react to, to try and kick out. And, yeah, that leads to a little bit of a, a vicious cycle. And so, you know, I'll just say one of the things, one of the core um, practices in reorigin is about calming the nervous system. Um, now, when it comes to that five-step process, the real like neuroplasticity training, we actually do it um, with respect to those triggers so that we're neutralizing the response to each of those triggers that might be, you know, agitating us. But we can also do things like generally just calming the nervous system, um, you know, that will help to kind of reduce the total load. That's to say the, the allostatic stress load in the body. And by reducing that total load, it will just put us in a less reactive state to begin with. Hmm. So when, you know, that I'm a narcissistic abuse expert and coach and all that, and, um, and what I find, and same as with me, I've experienced this myself because I'm a survivor of childhood narcissistic abuse. What I find is that 
the um, child is under so much stress that they, the cortisol is just over flooding their brains. And eventually it affects the adrenal system to the point where the adrenal system gets exhausted. And mm-hmm. I know for me, that's something I've carried with me my entire life. I have, to pe- I have to keep myself on a very even keel, not too excited, not too stressed, not, not you know, in a good way or a bad way. Mm-hmm. I just have to stay even in order to not trigger that response. So is this something that can help the adrenal system, help to boost that? Yeah, you know, absolutely. We have a, a certain module um, called calming the nervous system while elevating mood. And these are things that I think in today's society, people think of as being kind of juxtaposed, right? They think of, you know, if you're elevating your mood, you're kind of like amping yourself up, jumping up and down, like increasing the excitement in your body. Um, But for anyone who's experienced uh, trauma or chronic, any sort of chronic condition where the body has been stuck in that elevated excitatory state, um, we actually don't really want to, you know, push that, push that dial too hard. Um, the hopeful thing is that it turns out these things are, are completely compatible. It's completely uh, compatible to achieve a deep level of calm while at the same time elevating your mood. You know, that's to mm-hmm. say focusing on things that make you feel really good. And so we really go deep into the program um, uh, in, a, in a section that's kind of like supporting the neuroplasticity training to try and produce what I believe to be an optimal state of, of healing, but, but really I think an optimal state of being is one where we're focused and calm and experiencing the, um, the, the joy and the pleasant feelings that can arise from the mere awareness of our existence and the awareness of the beauty that, that surrounds us. So, um, you know, yes, I think, I think there's a lot to be said for, for creating this calm and pleasant nature. I like to say, you know, <laughs> stay pleasant yeah. in the, in the present. <laughs> it just yeah. has, a, has a lot of ripple, ripple effects. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and people would think, Oh, well, that's really strange because if you're like, you know, if you're, if you're happy, if you're experiencing joy, then how could it be a bad thing? But you know, if your body is over responds to everything, then it's never joyful, you know, and then you end up exhausted yeah. afterwards. So, yeah. So, so that's yeah. really uh, another yeah, interesting think, thing. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, people have learned from the self-help community and things like, um, not to single anyone out, of course, I, I, I like these people myself, but like Tony Robbins' approach, you know, has people a lot of like jumping up and down and changing your state and everything. And I think for like a, a healthy person that has not experienced a tremendous amount of, of trauma and had that ongoing adrenal activity, I think that can be healthy and very effective and a, and a quick way to change your state. But for anyone that's, you know, feeling more run down, it's kind of like the last thing you want to do is, is start jumping up and down and adding more stress to the system. And so there are definitely ways that you can calm yourself down and still, you know, relax into this um, happy, happy state. Well, that's so good to know. <laughs> I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about this, you know, it's um, exercise has always been um, just very difficult for me because as soon as my body starts, you know, like people say, Oh, you know, the mm. more you exercise, the better you feel. <laughs> I'm the opposite. The more yeah. I exercise, the worse I feel. It's, it puts such a load on my body that it can't handle it. So that's always yeah, been a, yeah, an issue I, for me. Mm-hmm. That's another experience that, that I share. It's like, you know, prior, leading up to when I got to Lyme, exercise was my life. And I, you know, looking back, I certainly overdid it. <laughs> There's definitely too much of a good thing. And then when I got, you know, really sick, I think my body associated um, – exercise for a while and certainly like things like muscle soreness with um with the immune activity that was going on and for years afterward for years after i I recovered and even could get back to full-time work and everything um, i noticed that exercise was actually a trigger for immune activity whenever i felt you know i had exercised and had sore muscles um it would actually just you know trigger all of that immune activity and i felt almost like i would get a flu 
um, afterward. And this is mm-hmm. actually really common. There's, there's, you know, something known as a post-exertional malaise that a lot of people experience after they've been, been sick or trying to recover. Um, if they get back to the gym too soon, it just adds a little bit more stress. And so I think for a time, you know, we have to be gentle with ourselves. We have to be, be nurturing and focus more on what's called working in as opposed to only working out and, and exerting <laughs> our energy. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I, I also do believe that um, we can start to, in a, in a sense, um, find some safe ways to desensitize ourselves to the, to the exercises and things that we might really love to do. Like for me, I love to surf. And so it was kind of heartbreaking that for the years after I didn't, you know, if I did go surfing, it would take me a month to recover. <laughs> so, um, you know, fortunately there, there are ways where we can start to regain some of those, um, uh, some of that energy back and then also change the, the signaling in our brain that associated the, in my case, muscle soreness with immune activity. So at Reorigin, um, are there different um, protocols for different things, or is it everything, is it basically you, you're doing one program and it works for all of the things, it, it encompasses everything that we've talked about? Great question, yeah. So at Reorigin, the, the program, it's almost, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, those choose-your-own-adventure books? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. So there's there is like a core of the program. Uh, the first couple of sessions really give people an understanding of everything we're talking about here, what's going on in the brain and body. And when people do that first uh, first couple of sections, they typically already start to feel a little bit better, even though they haven't actually started the exercises yet, just because they understand that there's something going on. I think one of the most concerning things for so many people is like if they're experiencing these these, um, you know, brain or bodily symptoms, and they don't have any good reason, they haven't found a cause, there's that added level of anxiety around why is this happening? Is it all in my head? All these questions and things that can arise when you've been to so many different doctors and haven't found the answer. So the first is, is really about giving people that understanding and, and putting them at ease. From that point forward is where it starts to branch out a little bit into that sort of choose your own adventure. And, you know, based on your condition, whether it's post-viral fatigue, long COVID, Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, pain, or a few different conditions that we address, um, then people can learn how to apply these exercises to their unique um, uh, circumstances. So it really is kind of moldable to, to each person's condition. How long has your company been open? Been, um, you know, when did you start your company? Let's say it like that. <laughs> when did Reorigin mm-hmm. start? Yeah, it's relatively new. Uh, yet less than a year. We started last summer. Prior to that, I had been doing uh, a lot of coaching and then small group workshops and kind of growing from there. So I was putting these um, these steps into place and into practice for for years. Actually, for the, for the last decade since I made my own recovery. Um, but then formally, we, we just created the Reorigin program and launched it last summer. Wow. I mean, it sounds like you really have this together. Like you've put a lot of thought into, you know, in, into how to do this, and um, which is really, really helpful for people to have. I mean, it's amazing to me that you were able to figure this out for yourself to begin with. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I definitely had, you know, the help of, of good people and, and uh, just followed my curiosity as, as if my life depended on it, because at the time, <laughs> it certainly felt like it did. So, you know, I think, I think we all become the sort of experts um, when, we're, when we're struggling with something. And, um, yeah, I, I was fortunate also to be in New York and, and work with uh, different doctors and people that had very unique understandings and start to put these, um, these ideas and understandings together in a way that I think can really guide people through this process, lay it out step by step. And in the short time that, that the program has been available, um, we've already seen people get tremendous results. And it's sort of funny because people come into the program and they, they, they start going through the, the courses and the information like resonates with them. They're like, okay, I, yeah, this makes sense to me. No one ever explained it this way, but this feels like what's happening. Um, but some part of their mind is like, 
you know, this isn't going to work for me, uh, for, for a lot of people, not for everyone. Um, but certainly that was the case for me because of, you know, we all experienced some learned helplessness if we've tried many times to reclaim our health and things haven't worked out. So there's some level of skepticism, which is also, you know, healthy. But then what happens is usually after a few weeks or the first, you know, month or two, um, people start to notice, I feel different. That's interesting. I didn't know I could feel different. Why do I feel different? And then we start to see this up, upward spiral. So that's something that's been really exciting for me is to, to, to watch and to work with people as they go through the program and the process and see the change, not only in their, in their physical symptoms, in their condition and their energy coming back, but also in their mindset and in their, in their belief where, you know, they might've come in really hoping, but not fully maybe believing that they could make, you know, um, huge changes, but then as they start to see these changes happen in themselves and in others, um, it just creates this upward spiral, um, which, which I think is really needed. And that's ultimately was my biggest goal when, when creating reorigin was to create something where it, where people can, um, you know, like allow those do practical things, see the results and then allow those belief effects to, to amplify it. Um, this is, you know, coming from years in the, in, in the chronic Lyme support group world where uh, a lot of the information shared there was fear-based and always about more research and what's, you know, not working and everything. So reorigin, the community here is really all about what is working, what we can do, the power that we do have over, over our own, you know, bodily responses and um, really about staying focused on, on where we're going, which is improving our health and healing. It sounds like an amazing program. Um, and you, you were very fortunate to have run across doctors that started you on this path. But, I, you know, just like with my path, I mean, I, I guess that this was you, you were supposed to experience this because this is what you're supposed to be doing. So you were led eventually to the right kind of doctors that began to spur these thoughts, um, which Absolutely. is amazing. Have, as someone who's been to many, you know, we've been to many doctors who just get, went, oh, you have allergies. Oh, you have this. Oh, it's psychosomatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had one doctor yeah. say to me, I, I had a chronic cough, and he, 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 I saw him a couple times. He did some tests, and then he came in, and he said, I finally figured out what's wrong with you. And he said, yeah. it's called, and he gives, hands me this sheet, and it says psycho uh, something cough. And I'm reading it. Hmm. And basically, it's all in my head, right? It's all in my head. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it turned out after a lot of searching that I had a post-viral syn- syndrome um, that had affected my mm-hmm. vocal cords. And there was actual damage there, you know. But, um, but it's, you know, you, you go on this long journey trying to find the right doctors. And you were eventually led to some really good ones. Uh, so... Can you give us an example of how an exercise would work so that we know what we're looking yeah. at? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I mentioned that we want to always do the training with respect to what's actually triggering us. So sometimes these, our triggers could simply be thoughts, right? In, in my case, I remember when I was sick, um, if I experienced symptoms in my body, it would, it would sort of trigger this cascade of thoughts of like, oh, what? What does this mean for the future? It means that I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And right. we just kind of get caught in these loops. So right. the, the number one thing we have people do is we have these specialized worksheets where they, you know, kind of just map out what are their loops? What are their, their triggers? How does their body respond when they believe that that's true or when, they, when the subconscious mind sort of buys into that? And then what is the sort of behavior that we've adopted to divert ourselves away from, from the discomfort. So it starts a little bit with the understanding. Um, and then it goes into the actual practice. And to give you an example of how I implemented this, this is sort of a simplified uh, you know, example. Um, but when I was coming back to full-time work, I worked in an office building in Times Square. So for someone with uh, you know, hypersensitivities to light and sound, it was, <laughs> it was a, a huge challenge. And we'll just say a great opportunity, as it turns out, to um, practice and hone these, these exercises. But one of the triggers I noticed was the ringing phone in my office. Every time the phone rang, I would have an 
outsized stress response. My palms would get sweaty, my heart would race, and I basically felt like almost a panic attack. Um, and I was in a sales position, so the phone was ringing often. You know, it was not <laughs> ideal. Um, and so the first thing I did was, was I kind of identified, okay, you know, what's going on here? Okay, it seems to be that the phone ringing has something to do with, like, triggering this response. Well, what happens after the phone rings? And I just kind of observed and followed um, followed the path and realized that when the phone rang, you know, I would start to get this physical response, but I would also at the same time get these, these thought loops of like, maybe this is going to be a customer service issue that I, I can't deal with or I don't know the answer to, or, you know, some, my brain as people's minds do, would just concoct the worst case scenario. Um, and then my body would start responding to that as if it was real, even though it was merely anticipated and usually never happened. So, but once I had that awareness, um, I just made a simple rule for myself. I said, okay, the next time the phone rings, I'm going to, instead of answering it in that agitated state and buying into the you know, beliefs and the feelings that are there, I'm going to actually push myself back from my desk. I'm going to drop my shoulders down away from my ears. I'm going to you know, put a smile on my face, and I'm going to take a you know, single deep breath and just really take a moment, take two or three seconds to, you know, interrupt that pattern and to, to take this, this moment of relaxation. And then I'm going to answer the phone in that relaxed state. And so right. once I had that in place, it was like now the ringing phone already started to shift from a threat to a challenge. It was like this opportunity, you know, dozens of times a day, I had this challenge of like, I get to practice this new response. So I already started to feel a little bit better about that. But the really interesting thing happened at around week one and a half, around 10 days into this, um, every time the phone rang, you know, I would do that new response. Um, and what I found was that by around the 10th day, the ringing phone actually became a trigger for relaxation. The phone <laughs> would ring, and rather than my heart starting to beat, you know, the phone would ring and all of a sudden my shoulders would drop down and my That's smile amazing. would come to my face wow. and my breath would settle, you know? Yeah. And, and so it became this like interesting thing after that. I was like, okay, you know, what else, what else is triggering me? Oh, well, I used to be able to enjoy this food, but now that triggers me. How can I apply this there? And just on and on sort of one at a time applied, you know, a technique like this um, to all of these different uh, triggers and realized that, it becomes totally possible to rewire the stress response, essentially to rewire the brain, to change the association, um, you know, of, of a negative anticipation to even a positive anticipation with respect to the things that used to stress us out. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's one example. And, and then since then, we've kind of um, really taken apart and, and put back together that process of identification, pattern interruption, and ultimately replacing it with a new desired response um, that we've now found to, you know, get really repeatable results for a lot of people. This is just so, it's so cool. It's so exciting um, and so promising for, for many people. I know, you know, I know it's, it feels very promising for me and I know what you mean when, when you don't feel well, you get into a mindset that, Oh, this is never going to go away. And then you build stress around it and then you make it worse and then it's worse. And then you go see, it's never going to go away. <laughs> you can get into that rumination. Yeah. Um, ben, what is your ultimate goal or dream for um, reorigin? Where, you, where are you hoping it actually goes? Yeah, you know, I, I would I would like to see this become more of a first response instead of a last resort. I think there's a lot of conditions like those we've talked about today, including trauma, um, that a lot of people find themselves, find their way to, you know, a program like Reorigin or, or to becoming open to learning about neuroplasticity and the mind-body connection and everything. They only find their way there after everything else has failed in a conventional yeah. approach. You know, right. and, and so in, in a way, it's like a last stop for a lot of people. Um, now, once they get there and they start to experience the results and it just creates this upward spiral. And my, my goal as, as a person and for reorigin is to prevent as much human suffering as possible. And so I would love to see, of course, not only 
of course, more people, um, you know, using these kinds of methods and, and getting results, getting better and breaking through that, that belief barrier to cause the upward spiral. But I would love to see people be able to get there sooner and have these tools available and know that they're a viable option um, before they, they go down that rabbit hole for years and years like I did. Are you going to be um, talking to doctors or psychologists or psychiatrists about your method? Or are you going to promote it that way? Yeah. So, so to further that, that goal, um, you know, we're doing a number of things. We are expanding on, on the brain trust. We're actually currently assembling um, what we've vetted and deemed as strong research and strong evidence to support the efficacy of our approach. And the next step from there, um, now that we have our research and we have our program and we have anecdotal evidence, let's just say, you know, a lot of people who have gone through it and, and experienced the benefits, um, is to do a sort of clinical study. Um, that will give it more, you know, scientific validation that will be able to, to say that this, um, that there's really, you know, research directly related to the reorigin program and, um, and people's ability to, to self-heal. So step by step, you know, we're, we're taking these steps pragmatically to do everything through the correct channels and, and bring this to the light of awareness while validating it by research. And, um, you know, in that process also, you know, yes, we're forming relationships with clinical psychologists, with, uh, with different doctors, functional medicine doctors, biological medicine doctors, um, who are already actually, uh, you know, uh, sharing and promoting our program to their patients because they really understand the um, the neurology behind this and they understand that while their treatments um, can can certainly do a lot to take care of the body with detoxification and nutritional medicine and all these various approaches that there is this unaddressed component of of the brain um, so yeah we do have a handful of doctors who are already you know, um, eagerly sharing this with their patients as something that they can do as a supplement to their treatment. Well, I think it's a brilliant approach, and um, I'm so glad that we got to talk about this today. I learned so much from you, and, you know, that's, well, that's why I do the show. I do the show because I learn, and I'm very picky with who I bring on because I want them, I want it to be different ideas. I want it to be different approaches, you know, to, wellness and healing and all those kinds of things. And this is such a, a unique approach that, um, that I'm just really excited that we were able to talk about this today. So thank you so much for be, being my guest. Yeah. Thank you, Randy. It, it's been a real, real pleasure. And, um, you know, if I could just leave a takeaway message, I, I just really want people to, to know that if they're feeling stuck, if they're feeling like they've been stuck in, in a loop, um, that there is real hope. There is real reason to, to be hopeful and to believe that you can change the dynamics of that, that loop. And many people have done it. I've done it myself. There's strong evidence behind it. And um, for anyone interested in, in learning how we do it, they can visit Reorigin, uh, Reorigin's website, which is re-origin.com. Okay, perfect. I was actually going to ask you that, and then I forgot to ask you, so I'm glad you said it. <laughs> um, oh, no worries. origincom Okay, perfect. All right, everybody. Yeah. There's your place. All right, Ben. Well, it's wonderful. Have a great day, and, um, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with this. I understand your goal, and I think it's, a, it's just a, an amazing thing that I would love to see this happen, too. So, so. Whatever Thank I can you, do. Randy. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I, re I really appreciate it, and, and I, I appreciate your, your time and great conversation today. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, well, have a wonderful day. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.